Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on our Challenge Cup exit at Dumfries on Friday night is Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? I am not too bad. And Rhys Jenkins is here. Rhys, how are you? Yeah, mixed emotions, but uh, after last night's heroics at Hamden, I'm pretty buzzing still. Yeah, that's certainly improved the, the mood after a, a tough Friday night, and Friday night is where we'll start. And as always, we'll just have a look at the starting eleven. I think the main surprise was probably Bannigan being rested. We didn't really see that at all. Turner came back into the side um, at the back. As we predicted, Stephen Hendry made his debut with Richard Foster being rested as well. So Kevin Holt moved into the, the middle of the defence with Kieran McKenna playing at right back. Other than that, it was the same team that defeated Air United 4-0 the week previously. So, Rhys Haldane, I'll, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the team you saw on Friday night? Uh, I don't think there was too many surprises, really. Um, we knew that Stephen Hendry would come in for his debut. May was away on international duty. So, the only real surprise was that Bannigan was rested, and which, to be honest, was pretty fair. He, he plays a lot of minutes. Um and as I've seen on your tweet, like, he doesn't, doesn't get any rest anymore because he's not really getting red cards as he used to back in the day. So I, I was I was fine seeing Turner come in for a start. I was a wee bit surprised to see Graham and Rudden both start, to be honest. Um, I thought maybe McIver would have got a start. But when I seen the team, I was happy and I was expecting us to go for it full throttle. Reese Jenkins, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the team was pretty strong, wasn't it? It was like the only one you're really looking at there is Bannigan. And as Reese says, like... He plays so many minutes. You need, I think, you need to need to rest him sometimes. And to be honest, like, I wouldn't have been too surprised to see even even more rotation than that. But um, yeah, I think you can't really expect much more than that for for in the Challenge Cup in the earlier rounds, at least. Not to demean it at all, but I think it's a good chance to give give minutes to guys like Hendry who haven't really been given a chance yet and see what they can do. Uh, so yeah, I, I was pretty happy with it to be honest. Yeah, I was the same. I thought it was a strong team. It was a team that went down there with the. The intentions of winning, it wasn't a, a team where we were just going to give people minutes for the sake of giving people minutes. We'll come on to the performance in a minute, but I thought I was I was happy that Bannigan got a rest and Turner came back into the team because as we discussed last week, it was quite harsh on Turner to drop out, even though Cammy Smith performed well on the right and deserved to keep his space out there on Friday. But I think we we really saw what we, we miss in Bannigan on, on Friday because I thought... I'm going to come to you, Reece Jenkins, in a minute because you are the, the tactics man. But I thought it was hard for us to get up the pitch as a team, especially in the first half. I thought we were relying a lot on either long balls or players bringing the ball out of defence or Tiffany going on long, mazy dribbles to get up the pitch. We couldn't get up the pitch and sustain some pressure like we normally do when we've got a player like Bannigan who can take the ball from the defence and move it into forward areas. So, Rhys Jenkins, what, what were your thoughts on, your, on the performance and how much did we miss Bannigan, even though he probably was due arrest? 
Well, yeah, coming to what you're saying about the ball progression side of it, I think that's where like Bannigan excels, especially in the championship. Like, I think you you see it with in the Scotland game last night. You, you have guys like McGregor and Gilmore, and they're just so comfortable taking the ball uh, in deep areas, and they get the ball up the pitch, and they help the team move the team up the pitch. And it's really crucial, and I think it's something that can go a bit unnoticed. And uh, that's definitely where we miss Bannigan, because I think as much as um, I don't think that any of our central midfielders are, are poor technically or anything like that but um it's kind of making yourself available in the kind of deeper areas of the pitch like making like for the pass from the defense and just helping get the team up i think that is i think you're right that's that's where we missed them in terms of performance in general i think like I, I, we spoke on on messenger about this a little bit but i was saying it kind of feels like the game was it wasn't a great game for either side but i don't think it was um a fair the final result wasn't really a fair reflection of what you saw i don't think anyway i think that you see them scoring a wonder goal it kind of tells the story then a counter attack at the end i don't think it was like 2-0 or they battered us or anything like that at all so i don't i don't think it was a terrible performance but it definitely wasn't a, a strong one no i agree with that i think i said at half time just in the in the chat it looked like a, a nil-nil game, and if it was going to be decided, it'd be a set piece or a wonder goal. And in the end, a wonder goal did decide it, and obviously they've got a goal with a mistake on the breakaway then, just to make it look much more convincing than it probably was. Uh, but Reese Haldane, what were your thoughts on the game and Thistle's performance? I, um, it wasn't wasn't the best game, was it? I mean, we had chances to win, but to be honest, we didn't deserve anything from the game. You look at the first half, we, we kind of resorted to playing long balls, and it paid off once with the ball over the top to Tiffany. And Tiffany's got to score there. When he, when he lost his marker and he was one-on-one one with the keeper, he's got to put that away. And then a, nothing nothing much happened. But I think Queens are a decent side this year. Kinda, obviously, they've got they've let um, Stephen Dobby go. He's moved on to Pastures now. And they've kind of built a, a young, pacey squad with, with guys who, who maybe are looking for the next step in their career. And I quite like the look of them, actually. But I, I, I don't think they had many chances either. And obviously, as you say, it's a an individual moment of brilliance from Lee Conley. Put that right in the top corner. Two keepers wouldn't have saved that, so that's a wonder goal. There's nothing much you can do about that. And then after that, we are chasing the game. Ross McIver comes on, he has two great chances. He's got to score, especially the second one where Shea Gordon plays the ball over the top. He's got to put that away. And he catches on the break and couldn't have picked a worse guy to score that goal than Ali Roy. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And we've just got to put our attention back to the league now. I agree with what you said about, about Queen's Reese. I think I think it was the terrace they used to describe Queen of the South as just ten cunts and Stephen Dobby. And I think that definitely was the case for a few years. They were so reliant on him. And why wouldn't you be? He was he was far too good for that level. But now, as you say, they do look like a real team. They sort of they press as a team. They look young, energetic, especially in the attacking areas. I thought without creating too many clear chances, they were just being a nuisance, really is how I would describe them all night. So, Reese Alden, I'll come back to you because we spoke about it last week about the importance of this cup and what a cup run could do for our league form. So, how big a blow is it to, to go out at this early stage and to a championship rival? Uh, it is disappointing. Um, it's a cup tournament that we would have loved to win. Um, we've spoke many a time how big it would be to get to a final again. Like you look at the day back in 2013, it was a brilliant day for our club. Masses of Jags fans down in Livingston, and obviously we fell short that day too. Maybe it's just not meant to be, but it's poor for our, our league form as well. After cu- coming off the back of the 4 0 win against there, you're thinking, right, that's us, momentum's turned again, push forward, and then you pick up that. It's just, I know 2 0 kind of flatters Queens a bit, but you're thinking, fucking hell, it looks like we kind of got a doom, but 
it's it's not best when we're going into Hamilton game next week because Hamilton obviously picked up a good result at Inverness. Now we'll we have maybe done in the dumps again, but just got to turn it around and hopefully carry on with the league. Uh, Rhys Jenkins, I want to ask you about Stephen Hendry. Uh, he came into the side for his debut on Friday night, and apart from the mistake at the end, I thought he was he was pretty impressive. What did you make of Hendry? Yeah, I think it's nice to just have some well, have an actual left footer on that side because as much as Foster's actually been he's actually been fairly fairly good out there, it, it, it can we can sometimes kind of be a bit narrow over there with Tiffany kind of always coming inside or always trying to kind of beat his man and come inside. It's good to have a guy that's uh, wanting to get forward and, and get balls in with his left foot. And I think that's kind of something we saw, a bit more balance maybe, but a bit, bit more natural out there. So that's something I'm quite excited for going forward. And yeah, I think uh, that's what you were saying, Matt, is it's just felt felt a bit balanced having, having a left footer out there. It sure did. I thought we looked a bit more natural, especially attacking down that side. And I think he got a decent shot away from distance in the first half um, that forced the Queen and South goalkeeper in a good save. And it's, I guess, no harm against Foster. I think you get what you expect from Foster, a sort of solid defensive enough performance. But at his age, he's not going to run up and down the flank every every minute or so to, to support attacks. And I think that's what we got from Hendry. And understandably, he's not played football. In a, in a good few months now, so he did look knackered for the last sort of half hour, and that's what contributed to the mistake at the end, which was a shame for him because I don't think he deserved it. But I'm I'm quite excited for to see what he can bring to the team. I'd quite like to see him keep his place on on Friday night. Reese Haldane, what about you? Would you like to see Henry keep his place? What are you expecting from him going forwards? It's a tough one. Uh, Asked me that two weeks ago, and I was saying I wanted Henry in for a start, and it, and he was pretty impressive at the on Friday night. Bar his mistake, he'll obviously come on to a game. He's not played a football. He's not played football in a long way. He's back from a bit of a bad injury that ruled him out at the end of last season. I think he can only get better, to be honest. And as you say, it was a lot more natural down the left hand side. He got a strike away a couple of times. So, do I watch him come in on Friday? I am no, because I do think I probably go with the same team that we had against United because I thought everything was pretty good back then. Foster on the right and Kevin Holt at left back. I'd probably stick with that, you know, and then maybe look at introducing Hendry later on. We'll come on to to talk about the team for Friday night in more detail, but I want to ask you both a question. Just about the strength and depth from the bench, I think we've spoken a few times about how happy we are with the options in the attacking areas, but I want to ask you both, I know we were were content with the starting 11 we fielded on Friday night there, and I'm not suggesting for a moment we start rotating, but how effective does having that strength and depth remain. If guys like Murray, McKeever, I know Hasty was cup-tied, but I think you'd throw him in there as well. They're not getting the minutes, and every time they come on, it's 10, 15 minutes to try and prove themselves, and we're maybe not seeing the best of them. Do you think we're maybe struggling for a bit of strength, strength and depth just because we've got such a settled starting eleven at the moment? What are your thoughts on that? I would say, like, in attacking areas, we are doing pretty well. It's... It's difficult because you've got a guy like Hasty who's who's he's a gamble. He's a young guy who's kind of he's sort of needing to get his career back on track. But he's obviously like he's obviously talented. You he signed for Rangers, giving him like pretty decent wages at a young age from Motherwell. And um, I think you've got him. You've got McKeever, who I'm not entirely convinced on, but I think he's always going to give his. He's always going to so cliched, but he's always going to give you like 100 percent when he comes on. He's he'll always try hard. And yeah, I don't know. We've 
we have got good options in forward areas. Like when we see Kyle Turner, um, who's who'd been playing on the right, uh, dropping out the team against air for Cammy Smith to come in. I think it's hard to say that we don't have good strength and depth there, but I do worry, like you say, if we're having such a settled starting eleven, they're not getting minutes, and um, if players aren't match fit, then they're not going to be there to to give you the impact that you need. So that's maybe an argument. I mean, we can't do it anymore, but whenever we're out of the cup, but. That's an argument for more rotation in the Challenge Cup because you want to kind of give these guys a chance. But maybe maybe the answer is try to get them get them involved in games a bit earlier, get more minutes in their legs, and hopefully that will kind of come to some form. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure what's happened with the reserve league this season because I think we used to get guys like that playing ninety minutes sort of during the week and that, and I think that served them well. I'm not too sure what's happened with that this season if it's a COVID thing. Reese Haldane, I want to ask you about McKeever because I know you're quite a big fan of him. When we watched him on on streams last season, I always thought he was a sort of striker who played off the shoulder. But when you see him in the flesh, I think he's a guy that can sort of win flick-ons, use the sort of physicality and hold the ball up for you. And maybe he's better playing with a guy who can play off the shoulder or midfielders who can run from deep like Shea Gordon. He was obviously... The, the one who the big chance fell to on Friday night. But what, what are you thinking of McKeever at this stage of the season? Because Graham and Rudden are looking pretty hard to shift out the starting eleven at the moment. And probably Cammy Smith is now ahead of McKeever in terms of getting a, a starting berth in a, a, in a striker position. So where do you think his season's going to go from here? To be honest, I feel a bit sorry for Ross McKeever. Um, I do, as you say, I do think he'd play better in a two. Because he's got an incredible ability to win flick-ons. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but every time he goes up for a header, he flicks it on. And it's usually always to his fellow striker or a winger's feet. So he's brilliant at that. But when he came on on Friday night, he had a guilt-edged chance he's got to score and a couple of other half chances where he could have done better with. Um, and it's down to him, really, to be scoring them, to put your name back in the frame. Um, he can't have any complaints. Rudden and Graham are scoring goals week in, week out. Um, so I, I do feel for him on that, on that front. But he has had, when he does get his chances, he's not really took them this season. Um, and coming on, as you say, for five, ten minutes, you're not really going to impact games massively. Um, where does I see him lying now? I probably see him just staying as like a third-choice striker. When we're chasing a game, you might fling an extra body on, that type of thing. I've seen some people suggesting that we'll try and move him on in January, but I'm not too sure about that. I think... He's still got a bit more to give, and he's he's young as well. I think he's only like 22, plenty of time to develop into a, into a bigger player for us. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. I think it's the timing of his jumps to win headers. He seems to go up a half second before the defenders, and that allows him to win all these flick-ons, and I was really impressed with that. But as you say, I think he needs to work on his, on his finishing um, if he takes those chances, it's obviously a completely different story for, for the team and for him. And he's probably sort of sniffing about the starting eleven. If he probably takes one or two of the chances that he's had on Friday and in the season before that, and I'd I think he's a, a long way away from some of the worst backup strikers we've had, especially in the last few years. And he's definitely a useful squad member, as you say. I I, I would be keeping him around as a as a third choice striker because you don't know what's going to happen to to Graham and Rudden as the season goes on. Um, Reese Jenkins were away to Hamilton back in league duty on Friday night, another Friday night game. What changes to the team would you like to see? Are there any changes to the team you'd like to see? And what sort of game are you expecting at New Douglas Park? So in terms of team, I think you, you can't change too much from, from the league win. 
Um, I think yeah, like we we're talking about with Henry, that's maybe the only kind of point where you're thinking is he made a like kind of staking a claim to a starting spot. But I think you're probably going to go with a pretty similar team to what we saw uh, beat Air. So I would probably go with that. And um, in terms of what kind of game I expect, I think I don't know. It's hard to say. Hamilton have kind of they've had a couple of decent results. Like they that win at Inverness and then I mean they won in the Challenge Cup, but it was against the Aberdeen Colts. So I mean. You can take that with a pinch of salt, I guess. It's whatever. They're always kind of weird games. They're possibly not looking quite as down the dumps as they were earlier in the season. But uh, to be honest, it would be I would quite like to go to an away game and not concede a few goals. That would be nice. So honestly, like if we cannot get beat, that would be good. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past us to to go there and get a win. To be honest, Reese Haldane, would you be happy with the the same starting eleven that took to the field against there? Yeah, I'd probably keep it the same as was when we beat Earth four 0 uh, I don't think anyone had a bad day that day, so keep it the same. And as has been said, I don't think it's the best time to be playing Hamilton. They seem to be picking up a wee bit after that terrible start that they made. But um, we are so itchy-peachy, man. Like We've beat all the teams below us in the league and we've lost to all the teams above us. And then the, the result the other night has made me kind of double-think things. I don't really know what to think, but hopefully we can turn up on Friday night and turn Hamilton over. Yeah, absolutely. I think Ian McCall's touched on it in his, I think it was his post-match interview on Friday night. If we can get three points at Aki's, that's the end of the first quarter where I've played everyone once. And you would have to assess it as quite a, quite a good first quarter. I think we would be sitting on five wins out of the nine games, which I think is a pretty solid return as a promoted team. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think you would stick with the same starting eleven. Stephen Hendry's probably the closest out of the remaining of the squad to breaking into that starting eleven. So if we are struggling to break teams down, I think a like for like change at left back with him and Foster, but it's going to change the whole dynamic of the team. I think it's going to make the team a that bit more attacking, especially down the, the left-hand flank, and hopefully it'll free Tiffany up a bit more if we've got that option as well. But I'd probably start Foster from the beginning of the game, like you guys have said. Turner's been pretty great for us since he came in, and um, especially with set piece deliveries and stuff like that. And obviously, we saw Cammy Smith playing in that kind of right hand side position. I just wonder what you think about um, is it, are we being harsh on him by saying he shouldn't be starting against uh, against Hamilton, or is it just is it too hard to to not play Cammy Smith there now, and you don't really want to disrupt the the balance between Doherty and Banigan? I'd say obviously Turner had a great start to the season for us, but I thought Cammy Smith was pretty good last week. And I'd say he probably just deserved to keep his place. Kel Turner probably had his worst game for us the other night at Dumfries. It was kind of, the game sort of passed him by a wee bit. And that was in, my, in a more natural position for himself. But uh, I definitely think he should be the, the guy being introduced first almost every week. He does bring a bit of life to the team. So if we're struggling and we're struggling to get things going, then he'd be the name I'd be looking to the bench to bring on. Yeah, I think we, we touched on it last week a wee bit. I think Turner was obviously unlucky to... To miss out, but I think the the Bannigan and Doherty combinations got some credit in the bank just from last season. So I think if we were going to drop one of the three to bring a more natural right-sided player in, it was going to be Turner. And as we said, it was it was unlucky for Turner because he'd done nothing wrong and played pretty well. And his his set piece deliveries are a huge asset, and we've scored many goals from them already this season. But I think Cammy Smith looked more natural out on the right hand side, and we looked a more dangerous team going forward just with him out there rather than Turner always trying to cut in. And I think, Reese, as you mentioned about how narrow we can be, it, it gave us that bit more width, even though it wasn't Smith's natural position. I think he gave us that bit more width than, than Turner did out on the right. 
Rhys Jenkins, I'm going to come back to you because I think this is the, it's possibly the first time you've been on this season, if not the first time since league action began. So I just want to get your sort of general thoughts on the season, how the team are doing, um, how Ian McCall's setting them up. Are you happy with how they've been set up? Um, is there anything you would you would tweak? I don't know, it's been a bit of a mixed season, hasn't it? It's been, we've had some really good results and we've had some really shocking results. And I think, not completely, but a lot of that's been kind of home and away. I think we've been really strong at home and really pretty poor away from home. I'm pretty sure when you look at the, the home like the home table, so just the home games, so we've had four home games, we are sitting on nine points and that puts us only behind them running. So that's three wins and a loss in the league, of course. Uh, and then you go to away and we're down in eighth and we've got a win and three losses. So, I mean, it's been pretty mixed. Um in terms of a kind of kind of tactical point of view, I've kind of I probably sound like a broken record when I talk about like being being quite narrow and stuff like that. But I do think we're starting to see. I think McKenna is kind of um, I've been quite critical of him uh, at right back, saying kind of that he's just a centre back put out there and it's not working, blah blah. But I think um, I don't know. If I, I think I may be coming down to when he when he's kind of been there, he's actually he's kind of impressed me more than I originally thought. Like from an attacking point of view, maybe. But. Uh, I think I'm starting to see the kind of balance in the team a bit more than I was at first. At first, I was thinking, oh, for God's sake, we've got a right, a right foot left back and a centre back at right back, and we've got, and we've kind of got a centre mid on the right, and we've got Tiffany who's kind of wanting to kind of come inside and attack, and we're like, I, I can't really see what we're trying to do here. But I don't know. I think I think um, that air game gave me some confidence, and I think you saw like what we were trying to do, and um, not that I hadn't seen it before, but I just think that that was that gave me some confidence, and then. Um, Seeing Bannigan out of the team uh, on Friday, that kind of it made me realise kind of like what we're missing with him, and then um, it's kind of cemented that in my head that like he's got to be key to our midfield. So I think we all kind of know what our strongest team is now. We're saying about the who's going to play against Hamlet. I think we've got to stick with stick with the midfield and Rudden and Graham up front, and we're we're looking good as much as the results haven't been perfect. I think that we just need to stick with it, and I think that. I think results will come. I'm fairly, I'm fairly confident for the season ahead. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And just for the the interest of of balance and fairness, because we are uh, all huge Stuart Bannigan fans on this podcast, I think it'd be only fair to point out that he had an absolute nuke when he came on on Friday night. He was atrocious, but he'll be back in the team. He's definitely not an impact sub. He's a <laughs> he's a starter. Yeah, um, I was going to mention that like Bannigan was fucking honking the other night, but. <laughs> I'm glad somebody else said it. Takes time to go into a game, but aye. Aye, he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. Um, we're all about the positivity on this podcast. We don't we don't like being being too down. So we'll talk about the Scotland game, which was the undoubted highlight of the weekend. So Reese Haldane, what what did you think of the Scotland game last night as we record? Um, how good was it? Oh, it was brilliant. Um, so like so many so often we've seen Scotland play and. There's not really been any like tactics or anything. They've just been relying on like individual moments of brilliance. Uh, and we've seen the second half. It's probably the most complete Scotland performance I've seen in a long time. Everything was nice about the team. We, we should have scored three, four. One thing I just don't understand is why was Lyndon Dykes taking penalties? Like, I know he took one uh, against what was it, Austria and he scored, but it was a, it was a stinking penalty. And then the same last night. He, he'd probably be the last guy I'd have on penalties in the whole team. But Aye, it was, a, it was a cracking game. It was a bit of a game of two halves. We weren't, we weren't up too much in the first half. You know, Nathan Patterson struggled a bit, but he came on to a game in the second half. I just think John, McGinn, John McGinn's a different level for Scotland. Uh, the goals he chips in with the, his tireless work rate. I, I, I don't think, I think it's no more than we deserve to get that one. 
Uh, and I love to see Scott McTominay getting his first goal. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson in the stand. You couldn't have wrote a better script. So uh, things things kind of looking up for Scotland, which is always always a good point. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's the first time since I've been watching Scotland that we've got a team that are technically good enough to beat teams that we should be beating. I think in the past, when we come up against teams like well, Israel, for example, that sort of level of team, a team that are sort of similar to us in world rankings, um, seedings, that sort of thing, we always think, oh, if we beat them, we'll need to beat them just by running harder, running faster, winning our 50-50s. But now we are, we've got a midfield and players dotted here and there around the pitch and other positions that are generally better than the opposition and can control games. And Gilmore, McGregor and McGinn, for me, were absolutely outstanding yesterday. I thought they were they were brilliant. And as you said, Reese Patterson really grinned in the second half, the last half hour. He was really good because he was struggling a lot in the first the first hour or so. But he really grinned and gave the team a lot of energy. It's looking, it's just, it's so good to have Scotland games to look forward to because they were always a sort of inconvenience in the middle of the season. Um, Rhys Jenkins, what about you? Any any tactical hot takes that, that we might have missed? Well, just in the game generally, man, that was honestly like one of the best live match experiences I ever had. It was just like I was there with like it was there were seven of us. We I somehow managed to get seven tickets from my pals. It was so good, and um, I just absolutely love the midfield, man. See Gilmore and McGregor in there, just like so technically good, like secure. They're just like. Gilmore's constantly getting the ball, constantly moving about, always moving. And then you've got McGinn who just runs like a madman and he keeps scoring for us. Like he's he's so prolific for us. But yeah, it's just we, we really we really did impress. Um I know this is can be ever some people aren't feeling it, but when you look at the expected goals for the game, we were up at like three point five, including the penalty, and just, just under three, like uh, excluding that, and that's like pretty exceptional for Scotland like we don't normally do that considering Israel were on about one so I mean it's just we were creating chances we we looked really good we looked really slick I thought uh, as you say Patterson grew into the game so much I was a little bit worried about him in the first half I thought just a couple of like loose touches sort of maybe he was a bit nervous but the second half he was excellent thought um, Gilmore linked up really well with him on the kind of right side of the midfield. I thought Dykes was great. I mean, other than this penalty, it was a shocker, but we don't need to talk about that for too long. Yeah, and he should have scored that header that he had. Um, it was uh, about six, yard, six yards out. But yeah, honestly, just an absolutely brilliant night and a great performance. It was. I, I was at the Scotland-England game, the, the 2-2, and I didn't think that could be beaten from a sort of fan experience, but I think last night it was. It was just such a... Such an amazing atmosphere in Hamden, and I know it's sort of cliche to say, oh, after the, the time we've had with the COVID and stuff, but I think that really did add to it. Just people have been waiting nearly two years for a moment like that, and we, we got it last night, and it was brilliant. Reese Haldane, on you go. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys seen um, the, uh, the Southampton right-back, Tino Livramento. He's came out and uh, revealed they had like, a Scottish mum like no one knew about. He was getting an interview with, he was away with England under-21s, and they were asking... Uh, is your dad on it yeah, about representing Portugal? And he's like, no, I just think um, my mum's constantly on about me just representing Scotland. She's constantly nagging me about it. She's Scottish. And I think that would be brilliant if we could tempt him over to Scotland because uh, he left Chelsea in the summer to like, have a crack at his own career. He realised he wasn't going to get games there. And he's like 18 and he's played like, every game for Southampton this season. Um, and i seen him against my United early in the season. And he was probably the best player in the park. And there's already talk about Chelsea like activating a buyback clause, like 30-odd million. And if we get him, I think our right-hand side could easily be as good as our left-hand side in a few years if Patterson and obviously he was to progress at the rate they're going at. 
That's an interesting one, yeah. That'd be good. Reese Jenkins. Yeah, just on that as well, he's he's absolutely brilliant. Um there's a guy Orlando on Twitter who's a like an expert with um expert with Chelsea youth and he he absolutely raves about him. Like he was absolutely raging in the summer when uh, when they let him go because he's. I think there's been a few examples of Chelsea youth players leaving recently to get game time, and um, oh, he's been absolutely brilliant for Southampton. I think I'm not going to get my hopes up too much because I think like he's genuinely good enough to be get, getting in the England setups uh, in the years to come. But if it looks like he's not getting a shot at England, then I would absolutely love it if he if he could play for us. But um. Yeah, I've, I was I saw some people tweeting about it, and I was kind of getting my hopes up. And then Owen Brown, uh, for pure pure football, kind of he kind of came in with the realism, and he was saying, "Yeah, I, w- I would I would hold your horses, guys, because he's probably kind of at the level where he's he's got a real shot at getting into the England squads. So if that's something that's possible, then we should be all over it, and we should be we should be getting on the phone to him and asking him to come meet up uh, meet up with the squad at the next at the next camp. So yeah, it's just just coming back to that. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely exciting times just when you hear things like that and you hear players. I think it sort of applies for Shea Adams as well. You hear players wanting to get involved now rather than us having to persuade players to get involved. It's it's a really good position for the national team to be in. And long may it continue. Earlier this week, David interviewed Lorne Gardner, the author of 1971, What a Sensation, about the book Being a Thistle Fan and the 1971 League Cup Final. Now I'm joined by Lauren Gardner, um, Time, uh, Time Scotland sports editor and author of a new book, What a Sensation, the story of 1971. Lauren, how are you doing? You all right? Very well, David. Thanks very much for uh, inviting me on the podcast. Good stuff. And thank you for your enthusiasm the second time around. I've asked you that question after I forgot to press record the first time. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so first of all, if you want to talk about uh, your upcoming book about the 1971 League Cup final, um, how did it come about? Right, so um, I had uh, I'm working for a now sports editor of the Times in Scotland. Previously, I was uh, a long term employee of another newspaper, and um, when COVID came along, um, they decided that uh, um, in their infinite wisdom, they didn't require my services anymore. So I found myself September last year um, between jobs, and um, I thought I'd take a couple of months off, two or three months off, and work out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I met a pal for lunch who, in a throwaway comment, said um, something like, oh, it's a big it's a big year for for, for your team uh, next year, i.e. being 2021, with it being the centenary of the Scottish Cup win and the 50th anniversary of the League Cup win. And uh, we, didn't, um, we, didn't, um, we didn't talk about it any great length, uh, and I was out the next day walking the dog, and obviously um, that germ of idea had registered somewhere in my head because um, it suddenly popped up, and and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to write, I'm going to write the book about the 1971 Cup final, 
and uh, and that's really what I set about doing. I, I, I took gave me something to do when I was, you know, didn't have much on my plate, and um, just sat down and I know Dennis McQuaid, um, and phoned Dennis, and because the seventy one team are all still very much in touch, it was easy enough to get numbers for them and to give them. They were all delighted to talk, and I spent two months just uh, just phoning them up and getting their story, uh, and that's and that's where the book that's the that's where the book came from. So tell me about your background as a Fissel fan. How did you become a Fissel fan? And yeah, just generally, how did you how did you get to this point? Well, um, so I, I suppose like everybody, you go to where your your father takes you. That that you follow in your father's footsteps. So, um, my dad took me to first game, uh, which I always remember was Aberdeen. Uh, at Farhill, it must have been the start of the season because as I remember it. So we're probably in the late 70s now. Remember, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. Uh, and we're climbing up the steps of the old stand, of the wooden steps. And I remember as a kid walking up, because you walked up the steps, so you, you, your eyes all of a sudden just get to the top of the steps and you look out over the, over the pitch. And I just remember the, the, the beautiful summer sunny day, the colours... Uh, and, it, and it just made an instant had an instant impact with me. So Thistle became my team, my brother's team, uh, and then subsequent come my sons, both my sons' team. And um, but I, I have to be honest with you, David. I am not Thistle's most passionate fan. I miss the odd home game. I miss away games. Um, I've never had so much as a, a season ticket. And my, the, there will be many people who listen to this podcast. Who of infinitely better uh, history and uh, knowledge of of Thistle, but they're, they're my team, uh, and uh, I go to them as, as and see them as much as I can, and um, they will forever be my team. Draw, lose, or draw. Well, one thing I did notice of where I worked previously. Um, so I'd be I was the only Thistle fan in the desk then, but the the the, the desk sports desk was made up of um, a, a Dundee fan, a Aberdeen, Morton, Falkirk. There wasn't a great deal of leading to what we'd known to. There weren't many Rangers or Celtic fans on the on the desk that I worked on. They were all kind of, um, and that gave you a kind of, um, I suppose, you had an affinity. You all, each of you, will have suffered at the hands of of the old firm over many many years, um, and you also supported teams that were, um, you know, were were continually having their struggles. So you had a sort of um, shared um, uh, emotions. Yes, a commonality. My big pal is a Morton fan. I used to love going down. I always loved going down to. Capelo, Capelo is, is always one of my favourite grounds to to go to. I don't know why, but I always like going down to to Greenock. Um, and so there was a there was a commonality there of 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 emotions, and you you had all suffered um, at various points, and you all therefore had a, a an empathy with each other. You mentioned previously to me that this is your first ever book that you've written. Yes, this is a first book, David. I always wanted to write a book. 
so I'm I'm fifty I'm fifty years old. So I was born in nineteen seventy one, but I was born in July, so it's what three four months before the cup final. And I thought I'm going I I was always wanting to write a book, but I was going to leave it until sort of later on, maybe when I retire, give me something something to do. Um, and I had another sports book in my head, which when I found myself between jobs, I had sort of tentatively started. Um, but then I parked that when the when the 1970 the idea of the 1971 book came uh, came about, I parked that and and um, and threw myself into into two months of of um, interviewing and writing and rewriting and editing and rewriting and interviewing. But I enjoyed it. It was good. Was there anybody you found notoriously difficult to try and get a hold of or interview? Anyone you were you were proud of the scalp, so to speak, of get, getting them on record, or were they all quite? Well, this is a great. This was the great benefit, um, David, of being in lockdown. So we're talking about January, February, this twenty twenty one. So we're in second or third lockdown. I can't remember now. Um, and the great advantage for that, much as it was a complete pain. The great advantage of that was nobody was going anywhere. In fact, most folk were staying in their houses. Um, so when you phoned them up, they were all always desperate, uh, uh, delighted to, to talk to you. I'd phone them up and 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 explain who I was and what I was doing and arrange a, a subsequent time for them so that I wasn't catching them on the hop, arrange a subsequent time to, to speak to them. Uh, and they were always they were always delighted to to talk. I think they were delighted to talk about nineteen seventy one, but I think they were just delighted to talk to someone. Um, and uh, it wasn't as if I was phoning them up and they said, "Oh, I'm I'm away the weekend, or I'm going on holiday, or I'm away to play golf." You can do anything like that. So that was a great that was a great benefit to me. Um, when it came to getting hold of people, I have to say, of all the folk that I spoke to, they couldn't have been kinder. Or more generous with their time, or more um, willing to, to to talk about their experience. Um, I mean, there were I mentioned earlier that I, I, I knew Dennis or I know Dennis, <clears throat> so that was just a, almost a catching up um, and and chatting about old times. But uh, you know, every other one we were just so delighted to talk to, and I was playing. There were others others as well. I've, I spoke to. Um, I spoke to Archie McPherson, who was um, who was commentating for the BBC uh, at the game, uh, and through John Hanson, I spoke to Alan Hanson, who was fifteen or sixteen year old, watching his brother play in a in the cup final, and and I have to say, I also spoke to people like um, Jim Craig and and Davey Hay, who who played for Celtic that day and were able to give a little bit of um, insight into what was going on in the Celtic dressing room at half time. Um and they were they were generous with their time as well. So they were all great to speak to. Some were more comfortable speaking than others. But they were all they were all they were all tremendous and very generous with their time. So I couldn't I much as you were a little bit nervous about that and you were a little bit anxious about um, how they would react to you, um they were all generous with their time. But the daunting thing is now the book is written, the book is is out there available for purchase, and uh, I, I hope that they, um, I hope that they think I took their story and and and, and did it justice. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I've I've read through 
quite a lot of the book over the weekend and yeah it's, it's fantastic um, it's fantastically written I, I really i really really enjoyed it um i'm about halfway through it from about sunday i, I uh, picked up and just blasted through it and just really really enjoyed it and i, I um as you said the, the range of people you got like archie mcpherson the whole team you get david mcparland's daughter um interviewed as well yes. you took lots of archive stuff from um, you know David McPallan interviews at the time and stuff like that. The, the, the breadth of sources and stuff like that that you've taken to to build the picture is absolutely fantastic, and I would heartily recommend it for anyone. Well, I'm so, I'm so glad, David, you enjoyed it because you, as an avid thistle fan, this is this is obviously the core the the, the, the core market, and yet as you, I don't know if you've ever written a book, David, or if you ever intend to write a book, but I have found naively that this part of the process when the book is out there and people are reading it you are very nervous and very anxious that people enjoy it so it's very kind of you and um you know much appreciated that you um that you did enjoy it um i have to say you've picked up a point there actually which i would like to return to um i was introduced to a a, a pal or now a pal called um stuart deans who i'm sure you may well know um and Stuart was able to source me a fantastic um, newspaper cuttings of the weeks leading up to the cup final and the weeks after it. And they were they were such a tremendous help because what I had intended to do was to go to the the Metro Library in Glasgow and, and they would have they've got all the, the back issues of all the newspapers. But with lockdown, you weren't able to do that. And I genuinely don't think I could have done the book if I hadn't had these cuttings from uh, from Stuart because it was able to give me interviews um, which uh, uh, Mr McParland, David McParland had done at the time and I was able to then use a little bit of artistic licence and, and, and sort of merge them into, into the story. And I also would like to um, make note that um, Yvonne, uh, Davy's daughter was very generous with her time as well and uh, told interesting stories of what the family were doing on the day of the cup final. Um, so, so all those things were uh, were such a great help. But I'm delighted um, um, that you've you're enjoying the book and um, fingers crossed others will as well. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the layout of it. So, for example, you've got one on the Scotland game. <laughs> we played Scotland. Well, so that, that was another thing. I stumbled across that in, in one of those cuttings. It just was a, almost a throwaway interview that I think it was John Hansen had done. Um, and he had been talking about how they'd been taken down to Largs to play the, the Scotland game. But funnily enough, the only one who had a great memory of it was, was Alex Ray. Uh, he 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 could remember that, you know. Like, so you're talking about, I don't know, maybe a ten days a week, something like that, before the cup final. And because David McParland and um, Tommy Doherty appear to be pals, um, and Tommy Doherty was a big fan of what David McParland was doing with Thistle and the way Thistle played, um, he invited them to come down and and to, to play as opposition in a bounce game ahead of a game against Portugal and and they did that and by all accounts it was a 1-1 draw and what have you but uh, it was just a kind of throwaway thing that I stumbled across so I just thought it was a good a good wee um, snippet to, to, to just appear in the story 
this was only a couple of days before the cup final, is that right? Well, I need to go back and check my records, but I, I, I'm going to say it was maybe, a, I think it was maybe a week to 10 days before the cup final, I think. You think now about players, you know, like if there's a big cup final, you know, if there's a league game the week before or whatever, it's going to be, you know, players with like 74 on the back of their shirt, all the youth players all getting a go yeah. out. Yep. And, uh, you know, to keep them rested for the cup final and we were away <laughs> playing the Scotland team. We were play, playing, by all accounts, playing Scotland down in a windy, la- uh, a windy large training pitch. But it was strange because... Um, now, I think I spoke to Alan Ruff and he can't remember it. <laughs> uh, but Alex Ray remembers it and uh, remembers playing against... Um, I think I think he, he, he recalls that Billy Brenrad said to... To Ruffy that oh uh, Alex Reeves you know some player whatever and I think Alex recalls that and say what uh, you know just I remember it because someone of that stature was uh, had recognised me as a, as a as a as a player so yeah but if you imagine that now you imagine that now David where you know let's say it was a week before the cup final you know no way they'd be playing players would be wrapped up in cotton wool before a cup final and. You know, if they had a league game before it, they'd be trying to get out of it. So I just thought it was one of these interesting little side stories um, of, of the build-up to the cup final. Because the book is, the idea of the book, David, was to do it just for the... I just wanted to do it for the day, and it was going to be the dawn till dusk story of, of that day in 1971. And it kind of morphed into a little bit more than that. But it's not... Um, you know, I think we go as far. I think we only go to the St. Johnson quarter final, the Falkirk semi final, and then a little bit after the the uh, the final itself, and and what happened and what happened to the team and what happened to them in the next year, because it was a fairly momentous year for many of them uh, the next year after the cup final. And you're you're very upfront at first, where you. You, you mentioned, look, if you're in this for, like, statistical analysis and, like, you know, lots mm-hmm. of information about the teams at the East Fife group stage game, uh-huh. uh, you're out of luck. It's, it's not that sort of book. It's, it's it, more just about all the characters are, are around it and, yeah, the, the story as opposed to the sort of the facts, if you know what well, I mean. It's, it, the, the book is their story. It's a story of 11, 12, 13 guys who 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 pull off the biggest shock Scottish football, in my opinion, has ever seen and probably will ever see. And it's not a statistical analysis of who played, how uh, how many games he played, how many times he touched the ball with a left foot, how many runs he made. That's not what it's about. Um, because... No mention of XG at all in the book, I've noticed. <laughs> No, no, there's no XG. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are so many people out there who are far, far better qualified than me to to d- discuss the statistics and the um, fine detail of the history of Partick Thistle. What I wanted to do was just tell these guys the story of these guys of, of what they achieved. Because I don't think it's really been given its proper place in in Scottish football history. I mean, I maintain, as I said earlier, that this is the biggest shock Scottish football had ever seen and 
I describe it as the JFK moment. Because I, I, I've spoke to people who... You have to remember as well, on that day in 1971, there was a full fixture card elsewhere. And the, the, the cup final wasn't live on the telly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when grounds around Scotland were hearing half-time scores coming in and the score from Hamden was 4-0 to Thistle at half-time, I mean, no one believed it. No one believed that. Um, you and you even have the story of the BBC at half-time saying the, you know, the score from Hamden is 4-0 Partick Thistle. That can't possibly right. We'll get that checked for you. <laughs> you know, so this it's the, it's the whole bonkers nature of that game, of that team, and the comparison of the who the opposition were that day as well. Um, and I just I just wanted to tell their story, and it's not about who played how many times that season. There's lots of guys in that Thistle <clears throat> squad from nineteen seventy one who who are well worthy of a mention, but don't don't really get one in the book because they weren't really involved. So it's. And I apologise for that if I upset anyone by leaving people out. Many people who, sh- you know, I say, have a worthy uh, claim to being included in some form. But it's just about these 12, 12 guys who, who were in the match they scored that day, the manager. And their story of, of kind of how they got there, but more physically how, how they got there as well. Uh and, and the shock that they pulled off. And, that, and that's that's what the story is. Thanks again, Lauren, for joining us today. In the new book, 1971, What a Sensation, 50 Years On From the Day, Party Fistle Shocked the World of Football, is out now at JMD Media. You can get it online at jmdmedia.co.uk, as well as all good book retailers. Thanks again, Lauren, and good luck with the book. finish with our Partis Thistle section and after Lyndon Dyke's goal last night was allowed after the referee was adamant that it was a high foot which he booked Lyndon Dykes for I'm going to ask you both when have you had to perform a big U-turn on something it doesn't have to be driving related or referee related but Bruce Jenkins when have you had to perform a big U-turn I probably have to say Ricky Foster I think I was had a bit of an agenda against him last season especially for the first half of the season or so I was just moaning about him constantly and uh, saying how he's too old he's past it he can't he can't run anymore but I do think he seemed to he was lacking match fitness when we first kind of started playing after Covid again in League One he seemed to just kind of come on to a game like as the season went on and then this season I think he's he's not he's not bursting up and down the wing but he's he's been pretty good for us and I think yeah I, I'm going to I'm going to say Ricky Foster he's won me over Rhys Haldane? 
Like, I give every Thistle player, anyone that signs for Thistle, I'll give them a chance. I don't base it on what they used to done. They used to do at their old club. I'll give them five, six games, see how they're doing, and then I'll, I'll give an opinion, I'll reassess my thoughts. But when Steven Anderson signed, I was just like, that is, that's a fucking terrible move. Letting now Keon go the other way and bringing in Steven Anderson, who you've said was one of the slowest defenders in, in Scotland at the time. I remember about four years prior to us signing him, Chris Dillon used to outpace him every time we played, and Dillon's a guy who would only wear white boots to make himself look faster. So when Chris Dillon's leaving you in the dust, you've not got you've not got much life left, especially four years down the line. But he came in and was absolutely excellent for us, marshaled the defence uh, every week and chipped in with a good few goals as well. So it was made to eat humble pie when he came good. But you love when that stuff happens, you know what I mean? Like, you never want a player to perform badly, so when someone comes in and surprises you, it's brilliant. Absolutely. As Jamie's not here, I'm going to chip in with Doctor Who one as well. I'd say I performed a U-turn on Stephen Moffat. I was quite anti-Stephen Moffat halfway through his his era, but he really turned me around sort of the Capaldi era, and I think he left the show as a a legend of the of the Doctor Who world. So there's one for Jamie and all the the Doctor Who fans out there. And on Doctor Who, it is back on on Halloween, which we'll touch on near the time. It's absolutely terrible news. For, for Partick Thistle and their prospects in, in the coming weeks, but we'll, we'll touch on that closer to the time. Anyway, the two Reeses, thank you very much for joining me today. And to the listeners, thank you for listening to Draw, Lose or Draw. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify, and you can find us on Facebook. Now Facebook is, seems to be working again, and on Twitter, at Draw, Lose or Draw. As always, stay safe and buy us a ticket. <laughs>